It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Fell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure. On Prescott, it was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag. So for that, of course, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang. Over at JetsInsider.com And above all of that, a very big deal Mr. Chris Nimbley So, let's jump right back into the mailbag Next question comes in from Captain Jet Sparrow He says, what is your favorite Pirates of the Caribbean movie And why is it Curse of the Black Pearl? <laughs> I'll be honest, I haven't seen any of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies So Chris, what do you think? My answer is anyone except for the first one Because I only saw the first one and I didn't like it so, so the rest are all better, in my opinion. They will remain better, in my opinion, because I will never see them. Sorry to uh, crush your dreams, uh, Jet Sparrow. <laughs> Next question comes in from John McAnally. He says, do you think people are underrating the potential of the Jets' defense? You've got a healthy Mosley and Avery, Quentin Williams going into year two, lots of guys playing for new contracts and better depth than this team has had in a while. There are question marks, but I think it has the potential to be dominant. Also, good starting field position as well. So I think this is sort of a weird double-edged sword because obviously Mosley and Williamson coming back is big. They did improve at corner. And also, Quinn and Williams going into year two, knock on wood, I'm expecting some really big things from him. However, they are going to be playing against a lot better offenses and a lot better quarterbacks. Remember, they were playing against some really bad offenses last year and some pretty bad quarterbacks. So I could see this sort of leveling out. I think this will be a really good defense, but there are going to be some areas where if they don't get better play at corner because remember we said they have a bunch of maybes but nobody proven if nobody really steps up there that area could get exposed if there's some injuries especially if Mosley or Williamson gets hurt there's a problem and they haven't really done anything to upgrade at edge rusher either they brought back Jenkins which is fine but Beyond him, there's not much. You hope that Zaniga is able to do something his rookie year. So that would be my answer. I think that this is a defense that has potential to be really good, but there's also regression potential as well. Yeah, see, this this is very confusing because I always want to point out that defenses regress, defenses regress, defenses regress. Uh, we see this time and time and time again. Uh and I just think, or I talked a little bit about it with Brian Poole before. Um, so I think that there's going to be some regression coming. But then you add in getting Avery Williamson, C.J. Mosley back, Quinnen Williams taking another step, um, and an upgrade at least. Uh, 
and especially depth-wise at the quarterback position, that, okay, maybe that cancels out the regression. Um, I This – they, they're still not good enough at cornerback, and they don't have anybody at edge. So from I, there's no way I can sit here and talk about this team being a dominant defense right now. Even as I said, Greg Williams can do some stuff to kind of cover up for some of that stuff at the edge. <laughs> it's harder to do that when there's not enough talent at cornerback. Um, so to, to be talking about them having dominant potential – I would, I'm with you too. The schedule is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'd lean more towards them being slightly disappointing this year because I think fans have such high expectations for this defense, and and I don't think it's fair to set them that high. Next question comes in from TJ. He says, "I know it may be unlikely due to the signings of Van Roten and Alex Lewis, but do you think there's any chance that Cameron Clark competes for an inside spot this year?" Yeah, I could see that happening. I think that the odds are much stronger that he competes in 2021, but he has been working with Duke Manyweather. We know that he's got pretty good chemistry already with Makai Becton, who he's become really good friends with, and we have seen flashes of just real dominance on tape. So if he comes in here and he plays really well in training camp, there's nothing that says he can't take over one of the guard jobs from Van Roten, Lewis, or Winters, depending on who's still here. I'm not betting on it. I think there's a much better chance that it happens in 2021, but I wouldn't put it out of the question. Yeah, how much of a chance is going to depend largely on how much of an offseason. I, I, I keep repeating this. But it, these these are hard to answer when I don't know what type of training camp and all, and mini camp situation we're gonna have. Uh, obviously, the more he get practices he gets, the better chance I think he'll have. But I, it, of course, he has a chance because what they have now is not anything that sh- should be stopping anybody from having a chance. Um, so he's he's definitely got a chance. Uh, I'm going to have to wait and see how he performs in the practices that do have and the preseason games that they do have, whatever that turns out to be. But again, he might have less chances. So less opportunities of those practices, less preseason games to make that impression. So if that's the case, it'll be harder than it would be in a normal year. But of course he can, he can absolutely beat out Van Roten or Brian Winters and hell, maybe he doesn't beat out Brian Winters, but Brian Winters gets hurt and Van Roten gets hurt and he finds himself starting. So yeah, he's absolutely got a, a chance. Next question comes in from Gus. He says, which players that are not currently on the roster will make the 55? This is sort of a tough question because I feel like this is asking which players they may actually still go out and get. I'm going to include undrafted rookies into this, and I'm going to say that Bryce Huff, the edge rusher, is probably the most likely of the guys that aren't technically on the roster that could make it. He showed some real flashes as a pass rusher, and as we've established, the Jets are very thin at that spot, so I could definitely see him making it. He's a guy that could have very easily been drafted in the mid to late rounds, so I think he's got a real chance. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and say Logan Ryan. I think that they'll probably sign him and then and it fits kind of what you've seen for how they're building the defense uh, in Greg Williams image. And I think that that that's something that will probably happen. And then he will obviously make the roster. 
Next question comes in from Danny at CC716. He says, given the fact that Joe Douglas probably knew Anuno was essentially done, does the fact that he didn't address the wide receiver position more than he did either in the draft or free agency make him look a little green in terms of being a first-year general manager? You can make that case, but I think that he just felt like the guys that he had are enough to really give him something to compete with going into the season. I'm sure he'll look, and if there's somebody he likes, he'll be willing to add. But I do think he likes Berrios and Smith as those like fourth, fifth-type options. He does seem to like Perriman. We know that Crowder is there. And he obviously is fond of Mims. I still think that the best move would have been to try a little harder to get Robbie Anderson and certainly to draft a second wide receiver in the draft. But I think that he actually does like this receiver group or at least the potential that the bottom end of the receiver group does have. I agree with you, though. I do think that he should have done more, whether it's drafting a second receiver or working a little harder to keep Robbie Anderson here. I do think, though, that he was acting on the assumption that Anuno was not going to be a part of the team in 2020. Yeah, I don't know. I'd go quite so far to say that he was acting under the assumption that Quincy wasn't going to be a part of the team, but I think that he went in just knowing that they couldn't count on that. You know, that was one of those situations that if if he was, fine, but I just – because of his history and everything that you couldn't count on it. Um, I see. I, I don't think you can look at it and say anything about him uh, being green or uh, about it being, because I, I, the, where I disagree with Joe Douglas on the receiver, because again, I've been very vocal about this. I would have re-signed Robbie. I would have drafted another receiver. Um, but I just think that this is his, view of building a roster which I don't disagree with I think it is he has taken the correct normal view I'm changing it this year because I want to get Darnold help for this specific season so uh, to help Darnold and so he can evaluate Darnold more but and if it wasn't for that specific reason then I would value the receivers the same about the same as Joe Douglas and I would take that approach. I just don't think that he values receivers as much when it comes to building a complete roster. I think it's lower on his priority list. And again, I think that normally, I think that's the correct way to look at it. I just, for this special season, I thought I, I would have made an exception and he didn't. And that's where I disagree with him. But I think that it is the correct way to, and a, and a vacuum to go about building a roster. He's got the uh, he's value evaluating the wide receiver position correctly in a vacuum. Let's get to another wide receiver question. Sebastian Strunk says, "Do you think Denzel Mims is going to play the majority of his snaps at the X?" I'm a little afraid of this situation because the primary corners in the division are all excellent: Gilmore, White, and Jones. And if Mims plays the X, he could struggle. But on the flip side, do you think he will benefit from having to go up against these elite opponents? 
I think that Perriman is probably going to draw a lot of the top corners, at least at first. It's going to depend on what they do with Mims because I'm not entirely sure how much playing time Mims is going to get right off the bat. I know that he's going to play in every game, but is he going to be a starter, somebody who's out on the field on the majority of snaps to start? I'm not so sure. They may ease him in a little bit, and so Perriman may attract more attention, at least at first. But I do think that, as you said, if he does get the opportunity to go up against those number one corners, that will absolutely sharpen him. There's no better way to really test your metal and to improve than to go up against guys like that. And like you said, Byron Jones, Tredavious White, and Stefan Gilmore, those are three of the best cornerbacks in the entire league. So this is tough. And plus, depending on what ends up happening with Xavier Howard, he's sitting there too for the Dolphins, and he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league also. So no shortage of challenges for young Denzel Mims if he gets into that slot. And if he does well enough off the bat, I think that'll tell you a lot about where he's headed in the future. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Perriman's going to get the attention at first, um, for sure. And again, I'm not the biggest Perriman believer, but I do think that's the case. And especially Mims coming in as a rookie, I don't think he's going to command that type of attention. But sure, of course, he'll probably come across those guys a couple snaps a game at least. And sure, that'll help him. That will help him down the road and in the future. Uh, I don't think, you know, getting to see uh, Tredavious White in the first week is going to help him in week two as much necessarily. But uh, it's going to be Perriman getting most of the attention at first. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Another wide receiver question. This is from Sharman Phillip. He says, do you trust this offensive coaching staff to coach up the wide receiver group and help them step up this year? No, of course not. Why would I? Is there a reason that I should? (laughs) They haven't shown any reason for me to trust them. I do like Sean Jefferson, though, so I trust him to help these guys, especially Denzel Mims, to run some routes, but I don't trust Gase and Dowell Loggins at all. So I guess it's sort of mixed. I trust Jefferson and not the guys that are above him, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense, because I trust Jefferson and I trust Heinz Ward, but... Yeah, I don't trust Adam Gase uh, and Dowell Loggins. I don't trust that Adam Gase is going to necessarily put him in the best position. And obviously, I don't trust him that he's going to use uh, Darnold in the best ways and put him in the best position, which would obviously help uh, put for help Denzel Mims. But yeah, uh, I, I do trust Heinz Ward and I trust... Uh, Uh, Sean Jefferson so that's got to count for something right I suppose silver linings and all next question comes in from Sam Darnold is elite he says hypothetical I know we don't want to dabble in this yet he's going to ask the question anyway so I guess we should brace (laughs) ourselves but if the Jets go 4-12 and and Darnold looks about the same or slightly better new coach and the team is a top 5 pick and whoever is the first pick has their QB already would you consider making a blockbuster move up to get Lawrence trying to trade Darnold, or would you stay put and take somebody else? And there's a lot of layers to this question, and it really hurts me to have to think about this right now, but let's go through this exercise. If Sam Darnold takes a step forward but not a huge step, if Gase gets fired partially as a result, 
if the Jets have a top five pick and the team at number one has a quarterback already, let's say it's the Cincinnati Bengals and they're willing to deal the pick, would it be worth it to go up and try to get Trevor Lawrence and get rid of Darnold and pick up some picks? There are a lot of variables here. Number one, how much does Joe Douglas still believe in Sam Darnold? Does he think that a big part of the reason that he hasn't reached his full potential is because Adam Gase wasn't the right guy to get him there? Was there something else that he thinks is holding Darnold back, or does he actually think that Darnold just isn't good enough? If it's he doesn't think Darnold's good enough, then it might be worth making this move because then you can go out and get Trevor Lawrence. You would now have him on the five-year rookie deal. You can restart the clock. Douglas has already begun to build this team in his image, and you can move forward from there. But I think that the likelihood of Joe Douglas coming to that conclusion and feeling like he needs to give up the store to go get Trevor Lawrence is probably not that high. I think you're much more likely in a scenario like that to see the Jets stay put and pick an impact player if there's an edge rusher or perhaps even trade down and pick up extra picks. I'm not saying it's out of the question. If that were the scenario that were to happen where Darnold didn't quite take that leap forward and the Jets were in striking distance to maybe go up and make a move and get Lawrence, I just don't think that it's likely, even if it played out that way. Yeah, I, I, this is, you know, there's so many hypotheticals in here and uh, that we can't answer but if they're in a position where they could realistically trade up and get Trevor Lawrence I'm going to trade up and get Trevor Lawrence I, I, I'm still believing Sam Darnold but if that's the point that they're at I don't know that I would be at that point and especially not enough to pass up Trevor getting Trevor Lawrence Right now, I would say that I like Trevor Lawrence uh, more coming out than I I like Sam Darnold coming out, um, and I yeah I'm I would I'll I'll just go along with this. I would do the move and get Trevor Lawrence. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, if you had the third pick in the 2020 draft and you could not trade out, Quinnen Williams was available in this draft, but Chase Young and Joe Burrow go number one and number two. What would you have done? Remember, you can't trade out. Well, this is an easy call. I'd have taken Quinnen Williams. I'm not trading out, and Williams is in this draft. That means I didn't take him the year before, which means that there's not some crazy logjam at defensive line, and I would have felt the same way about him coming out of school in this draft than I would have the year before as a prospect, so I would have taken Quinnen Williams at number three. Yeah, this is an easy call for me, too. I'm taking an offensive lineman. I decided to just let that sit there. Uh, uh, this, this is going to go back to... This isn't against Quentin, Quentin Williams. This is uh, my offense, get Sam Darnold offense, help Sam Darnold on offense. That, that's what that's about. And I, so I would have taken, uh, taken one of the offensive linemen. Chris, before we run, I just wanted to ask again about some stuff that you've been watching because I think especially with this quarantine, it's been really refreshing to be able to go back and rewatch some of our old favorites and to go in and watch some new shows that become future favorites. So tell me a little bit about what you've been diving into, whether it's on the subscription services like Netflix, Apple, and Hulu, or whether it's old staples from networks that we've talked about, FX, USA, HBO, so on and so forth. Yeah, I've uh, the last couple of weeks I've really been bouncing around a lot with uh, some of the older stuff that stuff that I've already watched. I've I've run out of a lot of the new stuff to watch, so uh, I I've started watching Parks and Rec again, even though I just finished that a couple of months ago. I started watching Psych again. Um, I've been watching a lot of old standups again. Uh, Mark Barron's new standup is really good. I've been watching uh, John Mulaney and Mike Birbiglia as, as usual. I watched the uh, Oh Hello a special on, that's on Netflix with Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, which is just absolutely absurd, uh, hilarious nonsense. Um, so that's what I've been doing a lot. I've also been playing video games a lot. started uh, my career on NBA 2K. I haven't played 2K in a long, long time. And it made it a little too complicated for me, but I've decided to sit down and I got the patience for it now. Um, so I've, I've been doing that a lot. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of old stuff for me. Uh, and, uh, a lot, a lot of comedy stuff. I, I really want to watch that, that show Dave on, uh, Hulu though, that, the, uh, little Dicky guy, I keep hearing really good things about it. So I'm going to watch that soon. And then I, I also started watching the 
show, the cartoon show with Amy Poehler. Um, it's called Duncanville. It's it's on. I think it's on NBC, but I've been watching it on Hulu too. So yeah, that that that's that. I've been trying to go back and watch some of my favorites too. Justified. I watched a couple of episodes here and there. Even the original Law and Order. It's funny because when you watch the original Law and Order, the first few seasons, it was fresh. It was different. And they were pulling yeah. from so many years <laughs> worth of material. But then as it went on, it just became so formulaic. And instead of it being something where they pulled from a wide variety of different cases, they started doing the rip from the headlines that week. So whatever the story was that week, that was what the show was about. And it just got to be real tired and boring. But I've really been enjoying going back and watching some of the old Early season Law and Order episodes Homicide 2 was another great show And that was David Simon's start Because David Simon wrote the book Homicide A Year on the Killing Streets Which became the basis for the show Homicide Life on the Street On NBC and then obviously From there David Simon went on to do Treme, The Wire And several other projects So I think that the oldies but goodies are great Psych has been so much fun to rewatch as well and community but psych is funny because i go back and i had forgotten all the weird random guest stars that have been in these episodes yeah. that dual spires episode which was a total parody of twin peaks was absolutely absurd but it was hilarious nonetheless somebody like garcelle bouvois who i've had a thing for forever pretty much she was on an episode where she was coming at gus real hard and I just remember thinking to myself, come on, we're really going to live in a universe where somebody's going to be that resistant to her charms. But that's the absurdity and the fun of that show is that you had situations like that pop up all the time. And then, of course, just the weird random references to people like Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears. What other show would <laughs> do stuff like that? So I've been enjoying a lot of those things. I haven't really been watching that much in the way of new shows since I finished Ozark, Tiger King, and I finished Catching Up on Better Call Saul. But I have really liked rewatching some of my favorites, which I think is one of the positives of all the free time that we have unexpectedly is that we can get back to remembering what we really enjoyed about some of our favorite shows. Chris Nimbley, the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang, and of course, a very big deal over at JetsInsider.com. Thanks so much for joining me, as always, on the mailbag. Before we run, why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on at JetsInsider.com. I'm sure that if this was a normal year, you would be getting ready for training camp and rookie mini camp and all of that. But there's still content to put out there, so what do you got? Yeah, normally it'd be rookie mini, rookie camps and then the mini camps coming up that would you know give us the content to keep going. So... I, I'm going to uh, start doing a series of, uh, you know, death chart stuff where I look at each position. Uh, I'm going to start focusing on training camp battles. We're looking at places that they still want to try to upgrade or get better at where they feel they're set at, how these positions are going to play out. So I'm going to go through the position by position. Uh, Jack Williams is going to help me do that. So we'll, we'll be getting on that soon. And then, you know, hopefully we get uh, a better idea soon how the off-season schedule will play out. And then, but, you know, right now I'm just like, all right, I'm going to get ahead of this training camp stuff now. And then hopefully we get that out and then the training camp will be around and we can get right into the meat of uh, training camp stories. 
Don't forget to follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't given the show a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.